So I got a question for you. Uh, question is, have you ever felt like the outsider? The outsider. And when I say outsider, for whatever reason, you felt like you didn't belong. And uh, something was different about you compared to the rest of the group. And uh, maybe it's because you were, I don't know, the lone Dodgers fan in a stadium full of Astros fan. Don't know why you would be, but... Um, or maybe it's because you were the only Asian kid in a predominantly uh, Caucasian school, or vice versa. Uh, maybe you felt like an outsider as the tallest kid in the class. You know, you, you stood out, right? And then um, maybe you were the only kid without a smartphone in your class. Um, or perhaps you're the only single guy or gal in a small group that's full of married people. Um, well, I had a situation like that once where I felt like the outsider. Um, I felt like an outsider when I lived on this small Native American reservation called Zuni, New Mexico. Zuni, New Mexico. I was the only Asian teacher on this whole little reservation. I was teaching art to high school um, in this small town, and I felt like I was on the outside looking in. Um, this wasn't Kansas anymore, Dorothy. You know, this wasn't Colorado anymore, Insu. And so I had to learn a whole new culture. They, they valued different things, different music, different foods, a different religion, a whole new lifestyle that I was not comfortable in. And from the outside looking in, I was thinking, you know, how do I belong? You know, how do I fit in? How do I get the attention of these kids that are so drastically different from me? And can you resonate with me? Uh, maybe not to an exact degree, but can you imagine a time where you felt like you were the one on the outside looking in? And for some of you, uh, as Christians who love Jesus, who worship him, uh, do you ever feel like you're on the outside? Do you feel like because of your faith, you can't completely relate to your culture or to your world? And maybe you try to integrate it with your work or school or your day-to-day, -day, uh, but still, you know that those around you think and behave differently because you have different convictions than them. So let's ask a bigger question. If that is true, if the fact that my faith in Jesus Christ makes me somewhat of an outsider in this culture that I'm in, the big question I have for you is, how do I live out my faith as an outsider? So for you type A people, for all the blanks, there's the answer. How do I live out my faith as an outsider? Uh, meaning, I do believe in Jesus, my savior, but how do I reconcile that with my day-to-day -day responsibilities? What does it look like to live out my faith in a way that wouldn't get me fired from my office? How does it look like when I live out my faith in medical school? You know, do I have to bring a Bible to class or like, do I have to pray every day? Like, what does that mean? What does that mean as a mom? What does that mean as a student, as an employer, an employee, as a citizen, as a human being? In this culture that is continually trying to reject this book, what is the right way to show and live out my faith? And, you know, let's be honest. There are wrong ways to do this. And I'm sure all of us have met somebody um, that is a little tactless or maybe a little uh, pushy in terms of their strategy to share your faith. Um, they'll be pushy and keep bugging their coworkers to come to church and not just in a kind way of, hey, do you want to visit HEC next week? No, 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 these people are the ones that will leave voice messages, business cards, maybe Bible under your desk, you know, sticky notes that say, I'm praying for your salvation. 
P.S. Repent or else, right? And maybe, you know, put memory verses on your windshields and hope, and, you know, I don't know. I know these are just exaggerations, but I'm sure you've known of people that are just plain, tactless, and offensive, maybe with a good heart. And I exaggerate, but since that's not who we want to be, what's the right way? That's one extreme of pushy Christians, but the other extreme is the Christian who is always silent, Um, and maybe that might be you. Uh, He or she never speaks up. Uh, They're too afraid to pray in public, so uh, for lunchtime, maybe they'll go into the bathroom and pray in the stall so that nobody else knows that I pray to God. Um, And then, you know, if your friend at school or at work asks you about God, you know, hey, do you, do you, what do you think about God? For the sake of offending, you'll be like, uh, mm, yeah, run, right? And then you'll just like go away. And, and that's an exaggeration too, but, but we've all seen examples of both, like whether you're too pushy or you're silent. You don't do anything about it at all. Nobody knows that you're a Christian. And so I know I struggle with this tension as an outsider. So what is the right way to live out my faith in a culture as pushing faith away continually? How do I not offend and how do I not stay silent? How do I not be pushy and how do I not be silent about the person that matters most to me, Jesus Christ? Well, these are good questions and I don't have all the answers, so I think it's best that we look at the text. And there's three things uh, we're going to look at today uh, from the life of Daniel Hopefully that will help clarify some of our questions to how do I live out my faith as an outsider in this culturally opposing world. So uh, three things is Daniel's obedient submission, Daniel's offensive steadfastness, and Daniel's overcoming savior. And the hope is that by looking at the interaction that Daniel had with his peers and his superiors in this land of Medo-Persia, we can learn the lessons that God would hopefully encourage in our hearts. But um, as with any heroes of the faith, from Abraham to David to Moses to Paul or Peter, the story doesn't begin or end just with them. And in our case, we look at Daniel, not because we can say, oh, look at what you've done, Daniel, that's awesome, but because of what his awesome God did for him. So our mouths should not say, look at Daniel, this is such a great role model, we should be like him. But rather, we should be saying, look at the greatness of Daniel's God. How great a God must be to move a man, just an ordinary guy, living towards and sacrificing for him. You know, we want people to question what is so special and awesome about this God. That somebody would go towards great lengths, speaking and proclaiming and living out because of this God. And so while we follow the example of Daniel, I hope that it points us to God rather than just to the person of Daniel. And so with that said, uh, hopefully we can flesh out some of these points. I want to talk about Daniel's obedient submission. Read from uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. That is, Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel 
with regard to the kingdom, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So Daniel, he's this foreigner captured as an exile, living in the foreign pagan land, the Persians. And as a Jew, he still worships his God, but he's faced with the king and the culture which teaches and believes in idols and self-worship. And so it's amazing what we see here. So uh, the king, Mr. Darius, you know, high and mighty ruler that he is, he appoints other leaders, uh, satraps it says, and then over them, uh, officials. So another word for that is uh, fancy smart people and really fancy smarter people. And then you, but you catch in verse 3, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. But Daniel, this foreigner, the God worshiper, the outsider, he was recognized. He got even more honor than the Persians themselves. An excellent spirit was in him, it says. So it's clearly not just of Daniel's strength, but God was doing something behind the scenes in this man's life. And a bunch of these fancy smart people and rulers get jealous because they see that he's successful. You know, they're thinking, you know, who does he think he is? This outsider coming in. You know, he's ruling over us. He's making us look bad. And so, you know, they plot. They try to get him. You know, they try to find something to incriminate him. They want to kick him out and they want to look for something that, you know, would get him in trouble. Verse 4. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Whoa. So these men go to find some weakness in Daniel. And, you know, usually, you know, you might get something like, oh, he comes to work late or, you know, he's, he's mean to these satraps or, you know, he, he doesn't uh, return the company pen, whatever. But, you know, they find nothing, nothing to complain about, no mistakes, no faults. And all that to say, Daniel was working well, and he was working hard. Daniel displayed obedient submission. Yes, obviously obedience to his God, but also obedience and submission to the authority over Daniel. And in talking about how to live out your faith as an outsider, this is the first thing we should recognize. There's something to be said about being obedient in your workplace, in your school, in your country, in your governing body, in your church. I believe that Daniel showed his obedient submission to his captors because he had an obedient submission to his God. How often we're tempted to think, as long as I obey God, you know, who cares about the rules of workplace or of school, you know, our messed up culture, who cares about that? But Daniel not only obeyed, and obeyed the rules and played within the lines of Medo-Persia, being careful to be a citizen, he also excelled. He went above and beyond. He was an exemplary worker. He was a responsible man. And he was in a place of influence. He was in a high position. And imagine what would have happened if Daniel said, hey, forget Darius, forget those Persians or Medo-Persians or whatever they're called. You know, I'll do it my way. I don't care. He would have been fired or he probably would have been killed. But it says that he actually did his job, a very important job ruling and to an excellent degree. So how about you? Do you value these things? Excellence in the workplace, being obedient to your boss, to your community, to your city, maybe following what your school or those 
over you or around you says? Or are you more of a rebel and say, you know what, that's fine. I can just do the bare minimum. I can get away with it. I don't really care for my major or for my career anyways. You know, as long as I'm making a living, you know, that's that. Like, what does it really matter if I'm submissive or exemplary or any of that stuff? And so I, I think I have to confess to you, I, th I think this is an area I'm weak in, and uh, maybe some of you can relate. Uh, would your employer or your teacher or your coworker say the same of you that these men said of Daniel? That they could find no error, that they could find nothing wrong with your work habit, the way you speak at work, the way you carry yourself at school. There's a fine line between excellence and legalism, but I wonder if I, if I personally shouldn't be more aware of the quality of work I do, um, from how I you know, talk to the youth, to the emails I send out, to the sermons I preach. I know it's not about performance, but I do wonder I should not be more diligent about doing an excellent job, not so that people can praise me, you know, not so I can get a, a promotion, I mean, I don't know what that would look like, a new desk in my office. I don't know what a promotion would look like, but, but, but because part of my witness is in the work that I do. But that's me as a youth minister. What about for you, students? Does your study habits or interactions, your classmates, does that point to the one true God, that people would notice something different about you, that people couldn't accuse you of being lazy or cutting corners? Or how about you at work? Do you tend to... Maybe gossip, slander, you know, it's okay, everybody else talks bad and, you know, everybody else comes in to work a little late. And so I'm going to make fun of my boss, I'm going to kind of get away with all these rules. And, you know, I know all of us do it, so, so it's okay, you know, this is, a, this is a safe place to confess. So if that's you, um, I know how easy it is just to, you know, go into work, do what's expected of me, not engage in any conversation or any interaction that I don't need to, and just... Do the minimum possible, just enough to get a paycheck, but maybe not enough to make a difference. And I say this not to guilt or shame any of you, because um, I've been there, and chances are you've probably faced this too. And, but are we not, in a sense, kind of like Daniel? Those of you that are believers, we also believe in the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is working in us too, as it was in Daniel. The work we do reflects on us as Christians in an increasingly hostile world. Do we work hard to show the glory of God in a workplace? Or maybe I'm just content for mediocrity. I'm just okay, settling. And no work is too menial. No work is too small. God was glorified in Daniel as he ruled over a kingdom as much as he was glorified when Daniel was just a student or just, you know, just a low whatever position he was in as he was growing up. And what was the result of all this? Verse 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So how amazing is this? That this man would be of such a reputation that the only way that anybody could accuse of him of anything was for his belief. The only thing that they found even remotely slanderous was the fact that Daniel served a different God, a different king, than this culture believed in. And so, let's move on to Daniel's offensive steadfastness. Because if it was only about Daniel being submissive and obedient to these Persians, to this culture, I'm not sure if that would be enough. 
It's one thing to show your faith through your work and work ethic, but it's another thing to stand by your convictions. And this is what Daniel did. Daniel not only excelled at his quote-unquote work, but also he lived a robust and living, very active faith. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't like faking or pretending to be one thing Sundays and another thing on Mondays. He was being himself. So read from verse 6 through 9. Then these high officials and safe traps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the safe traps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man or for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So you guys kind of see what's happening? You know, these sly officials, satraps, these fancy smart people, they'd be like, we're going to find something wrong with this Daniel, and we're going to accuse him of this God stuff, and we'll make a law. You know, all of us are gang together. We're going to you know, try to overthrow this guy. And, you know, it's pretty harsh, all of this work for just one man. But, you know, so they do it with this Daniel specifically in mind. And they say, if anybody worships or prays to anybody else besides the king, King Darius, they're going to be thrown into the lion's den. And, you know, Darius, uh, being the humble king he is, he says, you know, well, sounds good to me. I'm pretty hot stuff. People should pray to me anyway. That seems only reasonable, so sounds like a good law. And, you know, it's pretty ridiculous trying to use a made-up law, trying to incriminate Daniel. But, but Daniel, being the faithful man that he is, uh, see what happens in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. Or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. So notice how Daniel, um, he already knew that it was signed. He already knew that this was a law in place. He was not unaware of it. He was not hidden from it. It was common knowledge. So knowing the dangers and implications of worshiping a different God than this fake God, Darius, what does he do? So it'd be one thing to pray out of rebellion, right? It'd be like, you know, I'm going to stick it to the man. I'm going to stick it to Darius. This is, this is what I think of your law. I'm going to go pray. Or, you know, I'll never follow your rules. You know, I'm a rebel. But look at Daniel. This is not anything extraordinary to him. It's not doing anything remotely like that. He's been pranked. Like, this is a pattern. This is three times a day in devotion to his Lord. And I could imagine... You know, after all the commotion that he heard with all these state traps and officials trying to plot against him and, you know, all these laws, this law being passed, Daniel, what does he do? Gently bowed in humility, wanting to commune with his God. And it strikes me that Daniel had such a habit of prayer before his God. He was unfazed. He was well aware of his fate if he got caught. But he realized that time with his God, communion with him was so much more important, 
so much more precious to him than anything else. So we look at this offensive steadfast that Daniel exhibited. Not that he was being offensive for the sake of being offensive or being hostile. Daniel was practicing what was normal for him, communing with God. So how about for us? How about for you and me? What would somebody say of your steadfastness? Your unwavering faith to the spiritual disciplines. Would somebody see that as a part of your weekly schedule? The fact that you value time with your Jesus Christ? The fact that you spend the week depending on him, thanking him, praising him, crying out to him, being vulnerable to him, confessing your sins to him, being open about your heart and your sins, connecting in community as you share about your struggles, reading the word, sometimes as routine, but at other times just listening and just soaking in what God's word has to say to you, to see the character of God and being amazed as you sing to God, sometimes in joy, uh, sometimes in despair, sometimes in, in anxiety, but sometimes in fear, sometimes in, exi- in excitement. You spend the week with the one that you love most, with your precious Savior King, Jesus Christ, who saved you from such dirty sins and self-love into a life that gives so much more hope and so much more freedom. No more shame, no more guilt. And you know what? That kind of steadfast faith, you bet it would offend some kind of people. Around the world, people are persecuted for walking with their Savior. People are dying, being locked up, because they're doing this. They're just communing for worship. It's been offensive for thousands and thousands of years. The martyrs and the heroes of the faith, they've all counted it worthy, just as Daniel did in this passage. And many others after him thought it was worthy. It was better to spend time preaching the word, reading the word, proclaiming the gospel, worshiping Jesus Christ together, breaking bread and wine. In baptism, in communion, in house churches, and in missions, so many have counted this God-worthy, and their steadfastness continue to inspire people like you and me today. And it continues to offend people who are blind to the gospel. And we pray for their salvation, but it's going to continue to offend And so for us, let's consider, is it worthwhile that we might offend somebody, maybe even this week? Maybe through your devotion to God during the week. Perhaps, you know, you're a volunteer and you help out with uh, preschoolers or youth or college students. And, you know, your your coworkers find this strange. You know, why are you helping out with, you know, middle schoolers or college students on the weekends? Like, they think you're kind of weird. Or maybe you decide to fast from social media. You know, you don't even have a Facebook or Instagram anymore because you just want to Remove those distractions so you can spend more time with God. People think you're legalistic and you're out of touch. Or maybe you're misunderstood, right? Nobody wants to be misunderstood. You pray before a meal, maybe you read scripture during the week, and people think you're unrelatable, you're religious, you know, he's that that Christian guy. But maybe in our culture, being misunderstood or labeled something, maybe that's the kind of... um, offense that we face today. Maybe we offend people with our steadfast faith through that. But but the point being that we do these things. Daniel prayed to his God not to make a show, not to be pushy, not to be somebody that he wasn't. He was just being himself. He was saying, this is a normal part of me. This is who I am. The fact that you pray and fast, that's normal for you. You spend time every morning to God as you give your anxieties to him, and every evening you confess to God, just saying, hey God, this is me. I'm sorry, take me. And you ask Jesus for forgiveness because you turn away from him, you struggle in your sins as we all do. And this is an essential part of who you are. You're just diligently walking with your God. And you don't do it to offend for the sake of offending, 
But along the way, there are going to be those people that are going to be offended by you because the gospel is offensive. And you know what? Sometimes I think we've got to be okay with that. Uh, for me, as a people pleaser, um, I like everybody agreeing with me. I like people to accept what I do. Uh, but I have to realize that this book, the book about Jesus Christ, it's going to offend more people than I would potentially like to. When I say that there's, hey, one eternal way to life, and that way is Jesus Christ, that's surely going to offend my friends. And in our very tolerant, happy culture, uh, sometimes we need to stop trying to make everybody like us, stop trying to keep everybody happy. And it's hard for me because, you know, like I said, I want people to think I'm cool, I want people to think I'm relevant, but if believing and preaching this word is going to offend people, and it will, maybe I have to be okay with that. Because people's approval paling people's approval pale in comparison to God's approval already on me. The world says, hey, why can't you be more tolerant, maybe more accepting? Aren't all religions the same anyway? You know, why do you have to be so stubborn in your belief? You know, stop talking about Jesus as the only way. Or perhaps you've heard this argument, you know, Bible is offensive, it's racist, it's sexist, you know, it's all very narrow-minded. And these are all the things that you might hear week to week. And definitely, defend your faith as best as you can. But be careful not to water down the message of what it actually says. It says that there is a clear thing as sin. It's a clear thing as sinners, and we are it. It says that there is one eternal hope. That is Jesus Christ. And people not, might all accept this book or what it stands for. But we have to be steadfast and faithful, living and breathing and preaching this word. And so Daniel, he was once accepted for his obedient submission to his people and to the king. He finds himself in real trouble because of his offensive steadfastness to his real king, God Almighty. He got in trouble with officials and the king. And it says in verse 14, Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So the consequence of all this, of his offensive steadfastness, was that this law that Darius passed, he didn't overturn it. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den to be either a dinner or some leftover breakfast the next morning for, you know, probably some very hungry lions. And Darius regretted, regretted it to a certain degree, but, you know, too little too late. What he passed was already set into motion. And, you know, I think hearing this story was really cool when you're a little kid, but, you know, it faced with a few like actual lions in a dark den with no weapon, as an old man probably that Daniel was, with no escape, I kind of wonder what I would have been doing at that time. So, so let's go to the, our final point, Daniel's overcoming Savior. Because if this story was just about Daniel being obedient and steadfast, he would be the hero and we would never live up to him. We could never in perfection be the man or the woman that would have a perfect record a perfect work record, a perfect GPA. 
or if it was just about Daniel's offensive steadfastness, it still places too much of an emphasis on my own walk with God. You know, how faithful could I be? How much of a communion do I have to have with God? Does people actually have to be offended by me in order for me to be a good Christian? So, so that's why any story from this book, any good book, will point to the one that matters. The true hero of this story, who is Jesus Christ. This is about weak people being saved by a strong Savior, about foolish people that fail, and yet a wise Savior delivered. Sinful people that a gracious Savior chose to forgive. Verse 19, then at a break of day, the king arose and went in the haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? So Darius goes, Hey Daniel, are you still alive or are you dead? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. I'm still alive. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And the king was exceedingly glad, and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no, ki- and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives, And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So what happened to Daniel, thrown into the den of lions? The king found him, unharmed, not even touched. Angels came, shut the mouths of lions, because God commanded them. And, you know, I I think uh, one detail we forget to tell um, our kids when the story was told was that the people that were mean to Daniel... It, uh, they got punished, and not only them, but their kids and their family. So, so it's, it's, a, it's a little violent, it's a little gruesome, little detail. Maybe, maybe not exactly PG, and maybe Darius had a bit of a temper, so I think we tend to leave that story out fittingly from Sunday school. But, but regardless, that's what happened. And it said that Daniel put his trust in his God, and thus he was delivered. Daniel was found blameless. Not that he was perfect in any means, because none of us can be, but God found him blameless. He gave him grace and treated Daniel, a man just like us, as blameless. A simple man with a simple faith, but with a very extraordinary God. So it's incredible. What kind of God would send angels to shut the mouths of lions? Why would he care about one person? And it doesn't happen every time. We know there's been plenty of times in history where there have been martyrs and people that have suffered but, but the point isn't just in Daniel being delivered, because the focal point, once again, it's back to the one that matters, our overcoming Savior. Read from verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So even this king, this powerful king, King Darius, with all his pride, with all his arrogance, this is the guy that, this is the guy that said, hey, everybody worship me, pray to me, 
or I'll throw you to the lions. This is that guy. He says, Daniel's God is a powerful and he's enduring forever. He praises God, this pagan king, this, this guy from Persia, the powerful man who, you know, who is self-centered, he's arrogant. He changes, he sings, his heart is changed. He saw something. He saw that this Daniel was delivered and he saw something different about his God. He says, God's kingdom will never end. This, this God, he showed signs and wonders. So how beautiful is that? That the, the God had a plan through Daniel trusting in him. It resulted in this wicked person, this wicked and unbelieving king, seeing the truth of the real king, God. In this wicked king, in this pagan empire of Persia, all heard of God's glory and majesty. And what a great God. Many people, many nations, many languages still need to hear of this God today. And God's heart is that those who are living in darkness, all over the earth, in pride, in sin, in selfishness, to see that he is the better king, that his arm will reach. He has the power to save, the power to forgive. He overcame death and sin, defeated Satan, that's why he's our overcoming savior, King Jesus. So do you know this king? Jesus is the better Daniel because he, in obedience to mission, followed God's will on this earth and his death on the cross. But in all that Jesus did, he was sinless. And his steadfast faithfulness, it offended religious people. And he was nailed to the cross. Jesus is the better Daniel because in submission he lived perfectly and in this steadfastness, he died for us, sinners. And I encourage you, maybe uh, some of you don't know who this king is. If you don't know the Savior, you want to know what faith and hope looks like, there will be people at the end of the service that would love to pray for you and talk to you about this Jesus. So we invite you to be a part of our family. And perhaps this is of encouragement for others of you that are already believers. By giving you hope to trust in this God, that he alone can save a wicked king and the pagan kingdom. And we need to hear that. We need to hear that because we know that there is hope. That we can trust in the God that who has the power to save. As God worked in King Darius, he also has the power to work in the lives that we come and encounter with every day, every week, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities. And you know what? God might be doing more than what you, can, you or I can see currently. That coworker or employee... Uh, that student, God might be using you in his own way to reach out to them and save them. And our obedience or our faithfulness, that, that can't save them, but God can. He alone has the ability to save. He alone has the ability to rescue. And honestly, that's relieving for me because I know it's not my responsibility to rescue souls. Only God can do that. And this text shows that. And so, as we asked in the beginning, how do we live as outsiders in this foreign world? We need this reminder that, hey, I need to be obedient, I need to be faithful, I need to be submissive to my culture, uh, sorry, submissive to um, my work and my responsibilities. But in the end, God has the ultimate plan. You know, God used Daniel in this scene, and through him, God showed himself and his glory to King Darius and to this Persian kingdom. So I hope for us, instead of leaning on our own power, on our own work, that we can ultimately put our trust and our faith in our saving God. The one who is able to make even proud kings say, God is Lord. He, this, this Lord, he is great. And the worldly kingdom go, how awesome is Daniel's God? By trusting in him, 
in his sovereignty, as we keep faithful and obedient, we know that his wills and his purposes will prevail. And one day we know that every knee and tongue will confess, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, great is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we return to work this week, or to school, or to parenting, or just your daily responsibilities, I asked the question earlier about how do I live out my faith as an outsider? I hope you'll consider uh, three questions for yourselves. First question is, are you submissive? Are you submissive in your workplace and as a citizen of earth? Are you exemplary in what you do? What is something you can change about your workplace pattern as a student or as a parent or as an employee that could affect your witness for Christ? And consider how that might affect your own witness in your world. Are you also steadfast? Are you steadfast in being faithful to God during the week? In what ways can you grow in your own devotion for God? Not to impress anybody else or not in a legalistic way, but just to commune with him, to enjoy him. And consider how others might be impacted by you just being steadfastly communing with him. And finally, do you trust your Savior? Perhaps you're facing a situation uh, where you really cannot lean on anybody but Christ. Daniel here, he cannot lean on anybody but his God. And what a beautiful place that is to be where you can't lean on anybody else. As we seek to be outsiders making an impact for Christ in the workplace, in the home, in schools, in our communities, in our city, what ways are we not trusting God to come through? In what ways can we trust in his plan, in his work, in his power, more than our own efforts? So let's surrender all these things to the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer, the faithful and good God that delights to use us to make his, known, to make his name known. Let's all pray.